fatherlessness in our society. What one sociologist calls a daddy deprivation, and we, we've seen the hurts and pains of fatherlessness in our society. So even saying that God is father and we're part of the family, is like, I'm not sure what I think about that, some of you might be thinking. Some of us have great family longings of what it ought to have been, and maybe death cut it short. Maybe just never panned out, and you looked at your friends on holidays and said, why couldn't we be like them? And so this concept of family actually perhaps brings more hurt. But I, I want us to understand that God is a God who is good, and he's perfect in all his ways, as that song, Good, Good Father, says. And his creation of the family is also good. And what we ultimately experience that is hurtful is not accordingly, was not God's original plan. You see, in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world, and what did it come through? The family. It was Adam and Eve. And from day one, Satan's plan was to twist the notion of family. But God, in his kindness, is a God who redeems, and yes, even redeems this word family. And so I hope and pray that you and I today would see a redeemed view of family and that we'd see the church as our family. And not just as our slang, hey, brother. That's not not slang we're throwing at each other. It is what is. We are brothers and sisters because God is our father, which makes Jesus our older brother. And so this is the family of God. But what does that look like? What does it look like to belong in God's family? And what are the responsibilities that we, the church, have toward one another as the family of God? That's the question that I want us to talk about and answer today. And we're going to do that in the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John. So if you could, would you turn your Bibles there? It is the fourth to last book of the Bible but three of those ones in between, there are very tiny. So you just go right to the end of your Bible. You see Revelation. You go to Jude, 3rd, 2nd John, and you'll find 1st John right there. Um, also, if you don't know, the way you can find books in the Bible, there is a table of contents right in the front. And you'll see from Genesis to Revelation, you can just thumb down through that, find your, the book that we're looking at, turn to that page number. And uh, I also encourage you to memorize your books of the Bible and uh, you get to those passages quicker. And the pew Bible's in front of you. Do any of you guys have the page that we're on? What page that is? 1021 is that? Good, thank you. And if you don't own a Bible, please take the one in front of you. Uh, we have stocked up in Bibles here because we want to give them away to those who don't own them. And so we would love for you to possess God's word in your hands. Here we see the family of God displayed and described in various ways in the book of 1 John. We could go throughout all the Bible and find neat pictures and descriptions, and time won't allow us to do that. But as we see what John has to say in the book of 1 John, I think you and I are going to be very moved by how loved God's children are and moved by how precious it is to be part of God's family. Uh, I'm going to ultimately end up in chapter 3, but let's begin in 1 John chapter 1. I want to give us a background for the purpose of the book of 1 John. And John writes this letter as an old man, probably in his upper 80s, to a variety of churches. And this is what it says in verse 1 of 1 John chapter 1. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. Can you say manifest? Manifest, Manifest, which means it was revealed. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest, say it again, manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. What John is saying here in various ways is that indeed Jesus has come to this, had come to this earth as a physical human being. There were false teachings that said he was merely a spiritual being, but as a spiritual being, he could not then die on the cross for our sins. And John is saying this is a false teaching that will lead people directly to hell. But Jesus indeed came in the flesh, which is why he says, we have heard him in verse 1, we have seen him, we have looked upon him, we have touched him, and he was manifest, which means he became physically present. John is saying there was a tangible Jesus who is the author of our tangible faith so that it could be visible through the church. But what does it look like for the church to be a visible representation of God's love? Well, let's look at chapter 2, verse 9. John says this, when he talks about the practical natures of our faith, he says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Notice the family language there. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What John has done for us is he's already established that God is our Father, that Jesus is the Son of the Father, and he talks about how we now are brothers, uh, which is in in the Greek language to include brothers and sisters. And so what he tells us, we have a responsibility toward each other so that if we claim to love God, yet hate one another or somebody amongst God's family, then we are living a contradiction because our love for God must result in our love for the family. That's what John is telling us here. So what do we do about that? What ways, in what ways has God's love taught us how to love each other as family? And to answer that, I come to chapter 3 now, where we're going to park. Chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 for us to get it in front of our eyes. This is what the Bible says. John continues on teaching them about this tangible faith displayed in the visible church. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God. Children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. I believe referring to Jesus here. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. What John tells us here to start out is that God, in his abounding love, formed the church, which is his family. 
Look at verse 1. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. He says, see, see that first word, see? Some of your Bibles might say, behold, behold. He's calling attention. He's like, check out God's love. Look at this thing. See what kind of love that the Father has given to us. And we think about this love, we're like, well, what is God's love like? Well, as we read earlier in our, our service today, it says that God's love is this in, in 1 John 4, 9 and 10. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation. It means a sacrifice, one who satisfied God's wrath on our behalf. So what John is telling us here, he says, check out God's love. Look at it. He says, well, you want to see God's love? Look at the cross. And it was there that God formed his family. Because when Jesus died, he made a way for those who are rebels, that's you and me, to become heirs to God's family, become part of his household. He brought in people who were once not in his family into his family through Jesus. And John says, check that out. I think sometimes these words become so common. We hear it so often if we're part of the church. And what I want us to do is just park on that here. See God's love for you? Just think about that. You see his love for you? He didn't have to send Jesus to save you. In theology, we say that God is ase, which is Latin for of himself which is to say before this earth came into existence, God was self-sufficient. He had no need. And yet in his wisdom, beyond what we could ever understand, he created and formed this earth, put you and me on this thing. We rebelled from him, and yet he decided to create a rescue mission. Not because you and I were good. Not because we somehow twisted his arm, but because of his love you see it he didn't have to save you he didn't have to go to the cross but he loved you I think sometimes we let our vision of God's love become eclipsed how many of you guys saw it? come on now yep I, I, I was at Starbucks uh, studying and, and uh, it was a super cloudy day I didn't have glasses I was looking for them all day and then, you know, finally time came, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm the one person missing out now. I talked to, to Chris, who was playing the guitar today. He's like, yeah, I'm in St. Louis, so I could get a better view of it. Like, he drove to St. Louis, right? <laughs> Him and Val went to St. Louis to see the eclipse. And here I am at Starbucks on a cloudy day and, and without glasses. And a lot of people went outside and thought, you know what, I'm going to go see what they're looking at. You know, I went out there, and I'm like, is it visible? Like, yeah. I look up, and the lady's like, don't look at it. I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, did I lose my eyesight? I started panicking and whatnot. I was texting with Chris, and he says where they were at, that he and Val were able to see the entire eclipse. I mean, just think about that. Hear this. One million earths can fit in the sun. A million earths. The the sun is some estimated 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. How do you estimate that? I don't know how to do it. But for a moment, for 90 seconds, the moon blocked it out. Now, did the sun cease to exist when the moon covered it? Did it cease to burn brightly? You see, God's love is is much like the sun. It, It burns brightly. It's there. 
And it never ceases. It's, it's truly abundant. It's something to behold. And yet, there are things in our lives that cause the vibrancy of God's love to become eclipsed. Sometimes it's dis- dissatisfaction with God. He's let us down, we feel like, and he doesn't really love us like that. And we don't see it. Maybe we have dreams, things that didn't pan out. Maybe as we talk about the family of God, the pictures of family, you think, that's not my story. God, do you really love me? And it's like John is telling God's people, look, man, life is tough. There is sin in this world. It is broken. You are wounded. I am wounded. We have stories of pain. But don't let it lead you to think that God's love has ceased. It burns brightly. Don't let it become eclipsed. Behold. See what love the Father has given to us. I love how John calls him Father. He could have said God. See, see how God loved us? That would have been just as true. But to call him Father is to do something in our hearts. I love that Jesus, when his disciples asked him how to pray, he says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, which was a radical departure from what many prayed. Because Jesus wanted us to understand that God had sent him onto this earth to create a family in which God would be your Father. Matthew 6, Jesus says, this father will forgive you. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 calls him the father of mercy and the God of all comfort. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. You see, whatever pictures come in our minds, and many do, of this term father. Understand that God is a perfect father. The father of comfort and mercy and love and forgiveness. And so when John tells us to behold this father, behold the father in heaven who is perfect in his love toward you when he didn't have to be. Mind-blowing. And John says, behold, see what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. I mean, talk about identity. You are called God's child. You are called God's child. This is your title. This is your identity. That's what you are. And if that isn't enough, he says, you're not only called, because he says, and so we are his children. We are called sons. We are called daughters, because you are sons and you are daughters through Jesus. That's your identity, church, if you are a follower of Jesus. This is compelling language. It's not just a mere title, but it is our identity, son and daughter. I love how John John 1, 11 to 13, John says this in his gospel of John. He says, Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It was God's will that we became part of his family. 
It is true that all are made in the image of God, but it is not true to say that all are children of God. A child of God is one who's been brought into God's family through faith. You've heard it said that God has no grandchildren. Well, it's true. He's got sons and daughters, not grandsons and granddaughters, which means the faith of your parents or the faith of your grandparents cannot save you. You must become a child of God. And you do so by faith, by believing in Jesus and turning from your sin and living for him. Well, how, how does God, though, make us part of his family if we were not? Well, it's a very common term to us. The Bible says he adopts us. He adopted us. He chose us and said, I want you to be my daughter. I want you to be my son. Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You call dad, you call your father your dad. You call, you call your heavenly father your dad. He is your dad. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself. Galatians 4, 5 says the same thing. It says we can cry, Abba, Father. Family, this right here is your adoption papers. Because in here, God has narrated his commitment to bring you in his family and to bring you to glory one day. Our bloodline dripped from the cross. And that's what unites us. See what love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God and that we children of God. So that's our identity. But now the question is, what do you do about that? Well, first of all, we've got to just root ourselves in it, but then how does that cause us to relate to each other? Uh, now we're talking family here. Because we know we ain't got perfect families. And sometimes it's easier to love those outside of the family than it is those inside of the family. But that's not an option God gives us. So I'm going to give us four responsibilities to one another here. I want you to write these down. Because after each responsibility, I want you to put an initial of someone that you know God wants you to be family to them in this particular way. All right? Well, first we see in the book of 1 John, I've already talked about this, our first responsibility to each other as family is to love each other and not hate each other. He said, hate's a strong word. It is a strong word. It's also a strong emotion. And whether we utter it or not, it could be in our hearts. And John says, if you love God and hate your brother, you're confused because then you don't really love God. God wants us to love each other like family. We're called to love and view our gifts and resources as a way to bless others in the family. Look at chapter 3, verse 16 of 1 John there, just probably in the same chapter, just a few verses later. He says this, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Who can you love like that? 
Love treats each other with honor within God's family. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul says that he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. We relate to each other, encouraging each other, loving each other in these ways. We put love in motion with realistic expectations of one another with an honest assessment of ourselves and our own failures so we give grace to others because of an honest assessment of them with their failures. This is love. So next to that, put the initials of one that you know you need to love well because God says so. The second way that we can be family to each other is to protect the family. And one way of protecting that I want to hone in on is with our tongues. The Proverbs speak often about gossip, and it uses the words whisperer or slanderer. Now, I want you to put your initials next to that one, because this is your responsibility to keep a rein on your tongue. Look what Proverbs says about how to protect the family this way. It says in Proverbs 18, verse 8, The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Gossip's intriguing. It's very enticing. We have itching ears. But do we let it enter our ear? Do we engage that? Or Proverbs 16, 28, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. If, if, if gossip can separate friendships, what could it do in the family? Or Proverbs 20, verse 19. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Or Proverbs 26, 20. For a lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Gossip has a way to fuel fires. Change perceptions of your brother or your sister. And yet, as family, we have the personal responsibility to not be those who add logs to fires. Grab your bucket of water, fam. Douse it. So your initials are next to that one. A third way that we are to relate to each other as families to encourage the family of God. I take this from verse 2. I'm sorry, end of verse 1. He says, The reason why the world does not know us, that's the family of God, is that it did not know him. I believe that's referring to Jesus here. Now, in what sense does the world not know us? I mean, clearly people know you exist, right? You go to work, like, hey, that's you. You, I I know you. Well, well, first of all, the word world is not to to refer to just individual people, but, but the systems of thinking that lead and guide our world. It is this, those things that lead our steps that ultimately don't have those steps lead to the glory of God. And so there are various ideas and worldviews and mindsets that go about our society interwoven through our music, our movies, our TV, our, our, our uh, uh, different ways of entertainment, our hobbies. And we need to identify those things. Because here's the truth. John says, the world doesn't know the church. And by no, I think it's referring, it doesn't recognize, it doesn't understand 
what the church is about. It doesn't get the family of God. I think we could take encouragement and comfort in this for a variety of reasons. Because I think all of us have succumbed to peer pressure at different times in our lives, maybe even in the moment. And one thing that is so discouraging when we fall to the pressures of our society is that it never satisfies us. Maybe you got to act in a certain way to fit in. And you do it and you leave and you feel empty because you know if I didn't act that way, they wouldn't have received me. Dressing a certain way, talking a certain way, being a kind of person just to fit in with the world who is not meant to know you anyway. It's like fitting a square peg in a round hole. You don't fit, and that's okay. It's okay. Because Jesus didn't fit, John says. The reason the world doesn't know us is because it didn't know him. And I love how John says it so matter-of-factly. He's not saying, hey, guys, I don't know if you noticed, but the world doesn't know you. He said, no, you you realize this already. You're going to stick out. As, a, as part of the family of God. But here's the reason for it. The world doesn't get it. Now, there are times where God gives us favor in the world. Maybe you're at the workplace, and they know you're a Christian, and they're, they're attracted to your integrity, and that you have favor there. What I would say is, don't, don't be mad about it. Leverage it. Leverage it. Make it unmistakable that your classmates know that you're a Christian. Make it unmistakable that the workplace knows why you work so diligently is because you don't work for your boss. You work for God. Make it unmistakable to your neighbors that you're so kind because God was kind to you. Don't be a good person in society that other people think, oh, I could be a good person because they can't without Jesus. We don't fit in the world, but there are times the world looks at us with favor and leverage it for the glory of God. But this comforts because it's okay to not fit in. Yesterday, man, we, uh, Erica got tickets for us to go to the Holocaust Museum in Skokie. If you've never been there, you've got to get to it. Compelling. Six million Jews were killed by Nazi Germany. That's a fact. There are many Holocaust deniers in our society. And the reason this museum is more important is because there are those who deny it. But there was a lady there named Fritzi, a Holocaust survivor. And there's a video where she talks about her experience. And she talks about how she, who was a non-Jew, felt compelled to speak up in society because of what the atrocities were taking place. And at one point, the Nazis found out that she and her husband had begun to reach out to local farmers to hide Jews in their sheds. And they began to close this operation of hiding Jews, and they arrested her and her husband. She caught word one day that her husband was killed. And in this interview, she says, at that moment, she felt like God, she said, and she was a follower of Jesus, she said she was a Christian, she said, God, I don't want to live anymore either. And then she says it dawned on her that the reason she was alive was for a purpose. And so long as God had her on this earth, she had a responsibility to speak up, to do something. You know, there are many pressures in our society to silence us or pressures to fit in with the flow. She could have been uh, someone who just stood on the side and said, hey, I'm not going to get my hands dirty. 
I'm not Jewish, therefore I'm going to get through this time. But she chose to do something about it. Even though the world didn't know her, she made sure that the world understood who she was. Family of God, don't let the world become unknown about the gospel that we believe through our words and through our lives. Who in the family of God do you need to encourage and remind these things about today? Put their initials down. Who do you need to encourage and remind them, hey, I just want you to know, yeah, you, you, the world doesn't know you because you love Jesus. Now go live for him. Some of you are like, man, I put my initials there too. I know how that goes. The fourth way that we as family can live toward each other is to motivate the family of God. Look at verse 2 here. He says, behold, again, same word. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been appeared, has not yet appeared. But we know that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. What John is saying here is, as family, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus is coming back one day. And that very fact has a way of motivating us in this life and purifying our actions and our desires because we know that time is short, heaven is great, hell is awful, and these things are real. And he says, you know, Jesus is coming back. We are God's children. We need to understand that. We need to motivate each other based on our identity as children of God. I was thinking about it. Because we are family here, God, God is our father, Jesus is our big brother, we're brothers and sisters. When Jesus comes back and we go to heaven, it's going to be like a family reunion with people you never met. To this day, the largest family reunion in the Guinness Book of World Records is 4,514 people, a French family, in 2012. Would not want to be at that, by the way. Heaven's family reunion will blow that out of the water. And we need to understand that we collectively are brothers and sisters when we become followers of Jesus. And we need to motivate each other with the hope of Jesus' return and not squander our lives in the now. Who can you love as family in this way by motivating them in their faith? Write their initials down. And no peeking, by the way. Family, we have a responsibility to each other. We have a tangible Jesus who came to this earth to establish a tangible faith in him so that through the visible church, people can see that God is our father and that we are brothers and sisters. And because of that, how will we live? What will you and I do based on our identity? Will you motivate? Will you encourage? Will you love how will you do this? My hope and prayer is that we leave with some, some action points this week. And that those initials that you put down, that those four people, those three people, you were one of them, but the other three people, that you this week would say, I'm going to reach out to that brother or sister. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to motivate them. I want to remind them that they don't belong to this world. I, I see them running for Jesus, running hard. I'm going to encourage them in that. W would we be family to each other in that way? I hope and pray that we can. In so doing, let the world see. Though it may not know us, but let them see 
But there's something different about the church. It's the family of God marked by the love of God. When I opened up, I said, I hope you would come away with a different picture of this idea of family. And I know all of us carry wounds and hurts from our experiences, and I pray that God, through His grace and His love as a Father of mercy, will begin that work of healing in your heart. And I would say, don't let yourself go turned off to that. Don't, don't let your ears grow dull to this love that John tells us to behold. Don't let God's love become eclipsed or receive His love as your Heavenly Father, even today. I'm going to pray here and ask our worship team to come up. And after I pray, um, I have our prayer team come on up as well. I want us to always know, family, that as God moves among us here through His message, through His word, through songs, that we have an outlet to cry out to God with our sisters and our brothers. Because as family, we also bear one another's burdens. And so that's what our prayer team is there for. And so as God moves us and works in us, receive his love, receive his fatherhood, and rest in his goodness. Let's pray. Daddy, my papi, my father, my God, I love you, Lord, and so thankful, God, that you would choose to adopt me. Lord, I know I came to know you at a young age. I know at the time I didn't understand the depth of how much separated me from you. But now as a, as a grown man, I look back and I understand theologically, God, I, I was an infinite measure away from you, Lord. There was a chasm between me and you. Me, a rebel, and you, the perfect God of eternity. And Lord, I'll never fathom the depth of your love that would choose to build a bridge through the cross of Jesus. Though I could not take a step up that stairway, you stepped down. You lifted me up. You crowned me with steadfast love and mercy. You gave me faith to believe in you. You say I'm forgiven. You call me son. Lord, I pray for my brothers here, my sisters, who I love so dearly, some I don't know as well as others, but whom you know perfectly, God. I pray that they, Lord, would see the vibrant, burning, passion, passionate kind of love that you have that burns far brighter than the sun. Lord, I pray that they would behold it and see your love. And God, I pray that they would not let anything, God, anything, oh Lord, get in the way of that vision, God. So I pray that your spirit right now would, would begin to heal, would bind up the broken hearts. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to soften hard hearts. Your spirit would humble prideful hearts. 
Spirit would lift up the weeping heart, God. Lord, you are not a God who keeps us at arm's length, but you have arms open wide. And Lord, I pray that you would give faith to men and women today, to youth today, to our junior hires and high schoolers today, God, our college students today. Give them faith, God, perhaps faith for the first time to trust in you or faith in a fresh way, Lord, to receive you. And God, I pray that today, even now, that this final song would be part of your medicine to our weary soul. Oh, we love you, oh God, oh Father. We come before you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we sing this song, feel free to stand, feel free to remain seated.